Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, August 31st. Coming up, refugees coming to Kansas City often need to learn how to drive to get a job or go to school. One man is stepping up to teach fellow members of the Congolese community. In some sense, I kind of feel like an obligation to like teach the people who come and just so we know, like, okay, you don't have to go through the same issue that I had to go through. Plus, childcare has been hard to find in Kansas for years. Parents know the struggle all too well. But even the providers who run childcare businesses say they're struggling. Well, the misconception is that we're just rolling in money. Because, you know, parents think $145 a week is expensive. But it doesn't pay for an employee to make a living wage. We'll hear why one childcare center says the work isn't profitable. But first, some headlines. Protesters rallied in Kansas City yesterday to decry a possible pardon for a former police detective who killed a black man in his own driveway in 2019. Eric DeValconier shot and killed Cameron Lamb after Lamb's vehicle was reported in a high-speed chase. Prosecutors said a gun at the scene was planted by police. The detective was sentenced to six years in prison. Speculation about a possible pardon from Missouri Governor Mike Parson came up in June after the county prosecutor urged against it. Lamb's father, Akil Bay, says pardoning his son's killer would only deepen the black community's distrust in police. The system has to be changed. We need control of our police department. And from head to bottom, that place needs to be investigated. Lamb's family says it plans to protest an upcoming appeal for DeValconeer next week. A Kansas City activist filed a lawsuit alleging Mayor Quinton Lucas intimidated her into withdrawing a public records request. KCUR's Savannah Hawley-Bates has more. Laura McDonald, the executive director of the Metro Organization for Racial and Economic Equality, alleges that Mayor Lucas violated the Missouri Sunshine Law by calling her in what she says was an attempt to harass and coerce her to drop a records request. McDonald says she didn't get a response from City Hall for more than a month after the call, until her lawyer sent an email saying he would advise her to sue if they did not respond. The suit also details four other times where City Hall did not promptly release records or respond to records requests. A spokesperson for the mayor says he considers McDonald a friend and supports her right to pursue her requests, and that the city has now responded to all of them. Kansas regulators say a proposed electric rate hike for Evergy customers is too high, and they're recommending a much lower increase. Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service reports. Evergy had asked regulators for a 9.7% rate increase for the Kansas Central Region, which includes Wichita, Topeka, and parts of Johnson County. That would have raised customers' bills by an average of $173 a year. But the Kansas Corporation Commission says the hike isn't justified. They're suggesting the company increase revenues by 1.6 percent. State regulators also recommended a rate cut for the Kansas City area. Evergy says the proposed increases would offset rising interest rates for power plant improvements. Commissioners will issue a final order in late December or early January. Evergy is also planning to change its rates in Missouri. The new plan could quadruple the amount people pay during peak hours. We'll be back after this.
This podcast is looking for good deals on great food, but sometimes we need to grab a bite late at night. What are some of your favorite late night happy hours in the KC Metro? Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply. When refugees arrive in the U.S., they face significant barriers to fitting into their new environment. And in car-dominated Kansas City, one of the biggest challenges is learning how to drive. KCUR's Noah Zahn reports. Amori Justin is navigating a silver Ford Fusion along the winding roads of Kessler Park in northeast Kansas City. It's an unbearably hot day out, and the AC is turned on full blast. Justin Bilambele sits in the passenger seat. He's serving as Amori's teacher. On his wrist, he wears a beaded bracelet with the flag of the Democratic Republic of Congo. He's lived in Kansas City for almost 12 years now. Justin's family fled the DRC in 1998 when a devastating war broke out across the country. So most people like him, me, other people were in the same age as me. They were not born in Congo, they were born either uh, in the war, in the journey. For me, I was born in, in Tanzania. Amori is a Congolese refugee as well, but spent most of his life in Malawi. He moved to Kansas City a year ago with his family. Relocating to the U.S. means you'll need to learn new laws, new cultures, new languages, and you'll probably need to drive a car. So, like, where we come from, right, you don't need a car. But here, it's very, you need a car everywhere, for job, for work, to go to the store, to do anything, literally. Some arrive knowing how, but many don't. So the stuff that you and I, we take it for granted, that we, we everyday affair, that we don't think about it, they need help especially in the, in the transition period. That's Sam Nema, who is lovingly known as Uncle Yasser in the Syrian community. He's a board member for Jewish Vocational Services, one of the largest resettlement agencies in the Kansas City area. Sam helps lots of refugees find their first car. He's also taught quite a few of them to drive, even when it gets a little risky. And I took him on the highway, and my goodness, uh, before long we had a, a state trooper pull us over. Somebody reported there's a drunk driver down the highway. Other cities in the Midwest, like St. Louis and Omaha, have formal programs run by local nonprofits to help refugees get behind the wheel. But there's nothing like that in Kansas City. And that's where Justin comes in. He's been stepping up to teach members of the Congolese community, like Amori and his brothers. Justin always takes his driving students to Kessler Park to practice in a less crowded area before getting on the road. That's the hardest part, that turn there. Amori has driven this loop many times and stays calm and confident. But Justin still has to remind him to slow down sometimes, using a mix of Swahili and English. When I say pole pole, I'm literally referring to go slow. While the written portion of the driving test can be translated, the hands-on portion is only offered in English. And if you can't understand the examiner's instructions, it's almost impossible to pass. When Justin got to Kansas City in 2012 with his parents and six siblings, they didn't have an established Congolese community like there is now. For me, when I was learning how to drive, I literally just took my dad's car and then drove it when he wasn't there. Justin says that unlicensed driving is widespread because people still need to get around. In Kansas City, which is spread out and has few options for public transit, that puts many refugees in a tough spot. You need to drive, but you can't pass the test. Yeah. So what are you going to do? And Stay at home? Yeah. You're going to get kicked out. Unlicensed driving is a crime for anyone, but it's even riskier for refugees. To skip over it, God forbid, what if you have a car accident? What if you hit somebody and that's a felony now? 
you, you lost your pathway to citizenship. And it's those stakes, more than anything, that Justin and Amori say keeps people from trying. But Justin doesn't want people to be afraid. In some sense, I kind of feel like an obligation to like teach the people who come and just so we know, like, okay, you don't have to go through the same issue that I had to go through. Amori recently graduated from East High School. After practicing with Justin through the summer, he finally passed his driver's test on his third try. Yeah, I just, I just finished my classes and then I'm not in the car. Oh, yeah? Yeah, this is my first week. Yeah, All right, so you're, you're driving yourself there now? Yeah. Amori now drives himself the 17-minute commute to Donnelly College in Kansas City, Kansas, where he attends on a full-ride scholarship. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Noah Zahn. care is hard for Kansas parents to find. So hard that some providers say you should start looking for daycare the second you know you're having a baby. Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports child care providers are also struggling to grow, despite their businesses being in high demand. I'm walking through one of the largest child care centers in the state, the Family Resource Center, or the Center in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Hi, guys. That's the center's executive director, Ann Elliott. She's showing me the outside playground area, where a swarm of kids are surrounding both of us. One of them even grabs my microphone to see how it works. Hello? How come it work? There's rooms for toddlers and preschoolers. Some classrooms are learning French, while others are just waking up from nap time. In all, this center is licensed for over 350 children. But despite its size, it actually loses money on child care each year and only survives on federal and state grants. And it's not alone. Providers across the state say they make little money. Hiring is hard and hours are long. The center is looking for a cook, but they have struggled to find one. That means Elliot is cooking for the kids. That's why I'm up at 5.30 cooking. So I've been cooking um, for about the last six days. Providers are in a tricky spot. They don't make a lot of money. So how can they afford to give employees raises? And if employees leave for better paying jobs, how do they attract new ones to keep classrooms open? Take infant care, for example, the most in-demand type of care. Regulations require one caregiver for every three infants. At $200 a week per baby, a provider loses money paying someone just $15 an hour. But once again, it's a barrier. That's Dana Stanton. She works for the Northwest Kansas Economic Innovation Center and helps communities solve their child care woes. Opening a child care center isn't easy. It's expensive, and people who currently run businesses say they make so little it is hard to save up enough money to expand. And Stanton says caring for kids out of your home doesn't really reduce the complications or costs. You think you've got a handle on everything, and you think, well, do I have enough sippy cups? Do I have enough wipes and diapers? Do I have enough um, cots? And what about cribs? And how do I feed 10 kids all at once? Do I just put them up to my table? Oh, wait, they can't sit at my dining room table. In Johnson County, Tiffany Manis has been running an in-home business for 20 years. She can't legally take in any more children, and she doesn't want to expand into a child care center. For starters, the cost of opening one is so high. She also prefers a more one-to-one approach to her job. You can't really do that with dozens of kids. She feels stuck. I participate in the National Food Program, which some providers don't. I accept government funding, the 
DCS child care funding, which a lot of providers don't. So to my knowledge, I'm doing everything that I can to be competitive and earn a living wage. Some people run unlicensed child care businesses, but the licensing and regulations are aimed at upholding health and safety standards. The state is urgently trying to find solutions, though. Quality child care helps with brain development and economic growth. Businesses need employees, but it's harder to attract workers if there's not enough daycares to allow people to work full-time. Experts say those businesses are getting more involved in finding solutions, and states are also taking new actions. Some states are divvying up who pays for child care, splitting the cost between businesses, parents, and the government. Vermont even approved a new payroll tax on workers and businesses. It's expected to generate $120 million more a year to help lower the cost of child care. Whatever the solution is, providers say if nothing is done, all types of businesses will close. Our baby. This is our baby room. Hi, Back guys. in Pittsburgh, Elliot is confident the center still has many years left. We've made it. We've been around 25 years. Somehow we're continuing, and we will continue as long as we can. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Blaze Mesa in Pittsburgh. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujiadi. This podcast is produced by Paris Norvell and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Noah's story on refugees learning to drive and Blaze's story on childcare in Kansas, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.